Amen. Amen. Thank you, team, for leading us. So we don't sing those words without meaning it. We mean it 100%. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We're praying for your spirit of God to breathe on his church and to speak through his word. We sing all of those songs because we believe it. We believe it. And so we're expecting it. We're expecting it. Stay open to it. And if at any point the Lord is moving on you and you need to respond, then you respond how you're supposed to respond. All right? Amen. Uh, yesterday, we talked a little bit about uh, the church that I get to be a part of. I just I mentioned it briefly, and uh, I would like to just tell you a couple of stories uh, from that church and, and what God is doing in that congregation and what they are teaching me uh, as a part of that church family. And so the name of the church is Love Chapel Hill, and our name is our mission to love the town of Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. And I absolutely uh, am honored to be a part of this congregation. These people uh, blow me away. Um, there's my friend Chris, who is a professor at the University of North Carolina. He's a professor in the political science department there, especially uh, his expertise is in African-American representation in the voting process. And every day he gets to stand in that classroom that is full of students who have come from around the world with a hunger for knowledge. And he gets to stand there as an embodiment of a person who's been transformed by the truth. There's my friend Vimala, who right now as we speak is leading uh, our Bible study that I normally lead uh, on Tuesday night. So let's pray for Vimala as she's doing that, if you'll pray for her. Uh, her name, her, her uh, thing is that she's a restaurant owner. Uh, she owns a restaurant called Vimala's Curry Blossom Cafe. It's the best Indian restaurant in all of Chapel Hill. And uh, she's respected in the community for being an outstanding chef and this entrepreneurial business owner. But the thing that people are, are the most intrigued about is her business model. Because Vimla has a motto. Uh, she says, Vimla cooks, everybody eats. And the thing is that if you can't afford to pay the menu price, then you pay what you can afford for the food there. And if you can't afford anything, then you are an honored guest at her table. So these people from around the community are intrigued by this, and so they ask her about that, and she has the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, who has transformed her life, who has reshaped her life, and she gets to tell the story of this man named Jesus, who always had room at his table. It's beautiful. My friend Ryan is a grad student at UNC, and uh, he met uh, some, uh, a person from our church through their lab that they were working in together. And he has this curiosity about Jesus. He was a skeptic of Jesus. He would have considered himself an agnostic. But he started hanging around with this person. He had questions, and Rachel was telling him more and more about her relationship with Jesus. He started coming to church with her. He started attending two different Bible studies, one that's an apologetics one and another one that walks through the gospel of John and the life of Jesus. And over that process of that school year, uh, he started volunteering at the church, even though he, he wasn't a believer. Uh, but he, wanted, he loved this community he was a part of, so he started volunteering. He was working in the uh, sound booth. And every Sunday when we serve communion, we bring communion back to those who are uh, serving in the, in the sound booth. And uh, each week he would just politely do this 
to say that he was not prepared to take communion. And so we honored that. And Sunday after Sunday, serving in the sound booth, Ryan would respond like this. And one Sunday, he did not do that. But instead, he took from the bread and he dipped it in the cup and he embraced the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus for his salvation. It struck me a few weeks after that, as we were standing with Ryan in a muddy creek, as he was making a public proclamation that he was a follower of Jesus, about to be baptized. As I was saying, Ryan, we now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as he was preparing to go under the water. Ryan did what everyone else did that day who were being baptized. He crossed his arms. And it just hit me in that moment. What a journey. And what a difference, that symbol. How different that was on that day. He was buried with the death of Jesus and raised in the power of his resurrection. This is my friend Silas, uh, who has been in and out of homelessness, in and out of drug addiction. And I called Silas's phone one day and got his voicemail. And uh, Silas said, uh, you've reached Silas's phone. I'm making some changes in my life. So if I'm not answering your call, you might be one of those changes. <laughs> I was like, yes. Why didn't you answer my call, Silas? What's, what's up with that? There's Bob uh, who travels all over the country and all over the world as a consultant, uh, teaching at Microsoft, teaching at Starbucks, uh, teaching with the Gates Foundations, teaching for uh, the government, and uh, travels everywhere uh, doing, doing this teaching. Bob had been a Methodist who became a Buddhist, and uh, through a time of being hurt by the church, he was looking for hope somewhere else. Bob told me that during that time of being a Buddhist, he was taught what it looked like to empty yourself. And one day it dawned on him that if he emptied himself, there'd be nothing left but just him. And that he needed something to fill him instead. And he walked back into a relationship with Jesus and rejoiced over the fact that Jesus had never, ever walked away from him in that process. Then there's my friend Taz. Uh, Taz, again, history of uh, experiencing homelessness and uh, alcohol addiction. And uh, Taz would come into church, and most Sundays, I'm not going to say he was all the way drunk, but he was at least three-thirds drunk. <laughs> Math humor. And, um, and so... He would come in most Sundays and you just never knew what you were going to get with Taz. You, you never knew what to expect. Uh, and, and one day we got the, the sad news that Taz had passed away. And so we held our first ever memorial service as a church. And so we gathered together and uh, we told stories about Taz and we laughed and we cried. And we laughed again the next day when we found out he wasn't actually dead. <laughs> Christian ministry majors, check your sources before you do a memorial service on somebody, all right? <laughs> so then he, ended, <laughs> he earned the nickname Tazarus.
we found out he was in actually in a hospital and we went to visit him he's like oh I'm so surprised to see you and I'm like not as surprised as I am to see you (laughs) I remember at one point early on in our our, in our journey together as a church there was this one Sunday morning it was uh, in the late fall headed into winter it had been a rainy night. It was a, it was a cold, cold day, cold and rainy day. And um, Taz was, was in the congregation. He was there in the service. And as I'm preaching my heart out, this, uh, this sermon out of the Sermon on the Mount. And I was so excited. I, I worked so hard. It was the, the, the part in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about removing the plank from your own eye before the speck of dust from your brother or sister's eye. And so I was so excited. I even had a prop for it. All right. I'm just preaching my heart out on this thing. And Taz just kept falling asleep through the message. And when he fell asleep, he was snoring so loud. It was disrupting everybody. And then when they would wake him up, he was extremely inebriated that day. So he was like talking out loud and it was probably better when he was snoring, okay? And in the midst of this, I'm just getting so frustrated. I'm like, I'm up here trying to preach God's word. This guy has no respect for God's word. What is going on? And so as I'm preaching, I'm also going through my mind, this plan of what I'm about to say to him. And I'm prepared to call him out for this and ask him to have respect for everybody else in the room and respect for what's happening in this moment. And I just felt the Holy Spirit strike my heart. And say, are you even listening yourself to the sermon that you're trying to preach to somebody else? Matt, please remove the plank from your own eye before you try to remove the speck from Taz's eye. I just felt the Holy Spirit start to bombard me with these questions that I wasn't ready for. He started to ask me, Matt, where did you sleep last night? Was there a roof over your head? Were you warm? Were you dry? When you closed your eyes, were you afraid that somebody was going to come along and steal the very little that you own in this world? Just broke my heart. And from that point on, we just made a decision as a congregation. If you need to sleep through the service, then you go right ahead. This is one hour out of the week where you know you are in a safe place. And if that's what you need, then you go right ahead. These people have taught me so much. And the Holy Spirit has used them. Jesus has used them to show me what his heart looks like. I've learned so much from them. When I think about that story about Taz, I think about the power of listening. And we all want to hear God's voice. Many of us were praying for that last night. That's what we were longing for. That's what we were leaning into. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me direction. Lord, tell me what to do about this. Lord, show me what to do about this. And we want to hear his voice when we've got a big decision to make, when we need his wisdom about something, when we need to hear him affirm who we are in him. We're longing to listen in moments like that, but we tend to shut him out when his words are sharp. And when he begins to do that work of correcting, that work of convicting, we tend to shut him out in moments like that. I want to challenge you as we move into the rest of our time together. Be ready 
be open. His words might be sharp to you tonight. Many of you have said, I want to hear the Lord's voice. Tonight might be your opportunity. Will you respond? Even if his words are sharp. Even if they're correcting. Even if it's not what you want to hear. Be open and be ready. Holy Spirit, we trust you. Please speak through the power of the word that you have inspired. Jesus, we trust you. Please speak through these words that you said that your friend John recorded for us and that have been passed all the way down to us here in this place tonight. Father, you are the gardener and we trust your cultivating work and we ask you to do it. To your name we pray, amen. Amen. John chapter 15, this is the verse that we started in yesterday morning. Uh, the verses that we started in, we got through the first sentence yesterday morning, which is more than we got through last night, so that's cool, all right? So let's, let's do this, all right? Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Here we go. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. These words of Jesus are likely going to get sharp for us tonight. Three statements that are made here, that are intertwined together, like branches inter intertwined on the vine. Here's, here are the three statements. Jesus says, the gardener, the father, he cuts off dead branches. He prunes fruitful branches. And then he says, you're already clean. You're already clean by the word that I've spoken to you. All of these three statements are connected together and intertwined, and we're going to walk through them together tonight. First of all, he cuts off dead branches. This is another one of those moments in the ministry of Jesus, in the teaching of Jesus, where he lays out this life or death decision. Jesus is a fork in the road. Jesus is a fork in the road. Once you have been confronted by the reality of who he is, once you've heard his invitation of come follow me, you have a decision to make. Yes or no? Yes or no? Jesus is a fork in the road. And we see it once again. It's this moment of life or death. To be apart from Christ in our sin is death. To embrace him and to be brought into relationship with him is life. Because of his death for us on the cross, because of his resurrection from the grave, because of his ascension to reign on high. And we are all faced with that moment. For some of you, that moment's right now. There's no need to hype this up. For some of you, that moment is right now and Jesus is standing in front of you and he's confronting you. You can sense it in your heart and he's saying yes or no. Come, follow me. Life or death? What's it gonna be? And right now, this moment, laid out on the timeline of history, it's razor thin. It's just a moment. Yet that moment is packed with eternity and weighed down with significance. What's it going to be? 
yes or no. Now, for some of you, all of your um, reasons are coming to your mind of why you don't want to become a follower of Jesus. And for many of you, you're pointing around to other people that are in this room right now. And you're saying, yeah, but I'm a part of this Christian university and I've seen the way people actually live and people that claim to be followers of Jesus and I've seen the way that they are. And plus, if you look at Christians in our culture and all around, Christians are hypocritical. Christians are judgmental. Christians are anti-intellectual. Christians are hateful. Christians are stuck in the past. All of these things that you have to say about Christians. And can I be honest with you? Those critiques are fair. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't say that as a condemnation of other Christians. I say that as the confession of a Christian. You're right about me. I can absolutely be that way. And I'm sorry for that. I repent for that. But I want to challenge you with something. Yes, Christians can be hypocritical, judgmental, hateful, anti-intellectual, all of that, okay? All of that. But here's the deal. You don't get to hide behind that. Because Christianity has never been about Christians. It's always been about Christ. Has anybody ever said those things about Jesus? Has anybody ever said, well, Jesus was hateful? Well, Jesus was anti-intellectual. Jesus was judgmental. Jesus was hypocritical. No. The reason it makes you so upset is because you see who Jesus is, and then you see how Christians act, and you say, there's a disconnect. You're right. You're right, but you don't get to hide behind that because it's never been about Christians. What you have to confront is the reality of who Jesus is. He's the one who's inviting you to come and follow him. It's about him. It's not an intellectually honest position for you to take to deny Jesus based on Christians. Are there screwed up Christians? Absolutely. Right here. Let's hang out, all right? Absolutely. And here's, here's the deal. Here's why. Because the most broken people have always been drawn to Jesus. We've always been drawn to Jesus because we're the ones who realize how desperately we need him. And he's doing his work in us and he's reshaping us and he's reforming us into his image. It's a long road and it's gonna take us a while. Be patient with us and join us in that. Walk with us. If that's you and you're making that decision tonight, then we rejoice with you. We rejoice with you. Make sure you let somebody know, somebody who's a spiritual leader in your life and on this campus so that we can celebrate with you and walk with you. So that's the first statement that gets made. He cuts off dead branches. And so there's this sense of like death and life in that. And it's this confrontational statement. But it's so sharp because he wants you to see how serious that is. And he is inviting you into life with him. Wrestle with who Jesus is. And after you've wrestled with Jesus and you still say, no, I don't believe him, then that's an honest decision for you to make. Okay? All right, moving on. The second statement 
is about pruning branches that bear fruit. Now, in case uh, you don't know what pruning means, I'm not an expert gardener here, okay? Uh, but pruning means to cut back branches, okay? It's, it's actually those branches are getting cut too. And when you hear that, that makes you upset because you're like, whoa, I signed up so I wouldn't get cut here, okay? But this statement from Jesus, these sharp words from Jesus, he cuts off the dead branches and he prunes branches that are fruitful so that they might be made more fruitful. That doesn't sound like something that we want to have happen. And so we get a little bit defensive about that. And at first it doesn't make sense to us because we come back with this statement of why would you punish a branch that is bearing fruit? Like that's what it's supposed to do. Why would you punish a branch that's doing what it's supposed to do and bearing fruit? Well, here's why. Because pruning is not punishment. Pruning is not punishment. Pruning is provision. And pruning is producing in us. It creates the opportunity for deeper spiritual health and deeper growth of abundant fruit in our lives. There on the university's campus where we live, um, there's this beautiful garden, this arboretum. And uh, so one of the guys I talked to you about, Bob, the, the Methodist turned Buddhist, <laughs> turned Jesus follower again, okay? Uh, Bob and I were out walking and uh, having a meeting there. And so normally we meet in this coffee shop in this discipleship relationship with each other. And uh, it was a beautiful fall day. So we said, hey, let's, let's go for a walk. Let's walk on campus instead. So we're walking around campus. We go through the arboretum. And I see this guy who is, who's there like doing gardening kind of work. Like he's got his spade and I, it's like a tiny shovel. I guess that's a spade, okay? And uh, so he's down on his hands and knees doing this work in, in the garden. I'm like, Bob, I need to talk to this guy. Like I've been living in this passage about Jesus in the vine and I've got some questions. And so I stop and I ask him and I'm like, excuse me, sir. I see that you're gardening and I have a question. Uh, can you tell me about like pruning, like I'm a preacher and I know that scares you but I'm a preacher and so I'm trying to figure out these words of Jesus can you tell me what he means by that can you tell me about pruning and his answer was he's like oh yeah actually I teach a master's level course here at the university in gardening and pruning <laughs> like thank you very much okay awesome and so he starts to tell me about this and I share that image that Jesus gives and he says that's absolutely brilliant he said, that's brilliant. Here is what he's getting at. It seems completely counterintuitive to people who don't know anything about gardening. He says, it seems completely counterintuitive. But the nature of a fruit-bearing vine is this, that the place where you cut, that's the place where the most growth gets produced. A fruit-bearing vine. You cut it back. Even when it looks like it's being fruitful, still you cut it back. You cut it back and you cut it back. And, and what the vine does is this. It sends that life and it sends that energy to the place where the cut has been made. And it ends up producing more fruit than was there in the first place. So what happens is you produce more fruit than you ever end up cutting back. When you cut off a part of the branch, the vine, by its nature, sends out several shoots in the same place where it was cut to replace that growth and to create ample growth. And then he said this. He said, now here's the thing. 
it gets really tricky to know how much you're supposed to cut. He said, an expert gardener knows how much to cut. A gardener that is not experienced, a gardener that is newer at this, oftentimes stops too soon. An inexperienced gardener gets afraid that they're going to do too much damage, that they're going to end up harming the plant. And so they stop too soon when if they would keep on cutting, they would bring about more health, more growth, more fruit. The expert and seasoned gardener knows how far to cut. To the rest of us, it seems like the cut is going too deep, like the cut is going too far. But the expert gardener keeps on cutting. To get to the place of the most growth. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the good and loving gardener. And he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing and you can trust him. What is he pruning and cutting back in you? What is he pruning and cutting back in you? Why? And what kind of growth might that produce in you? Growth happens at the place of the cutting. In other words, growth happens at the point of pain. Growth happens at the point of pain. Here's what we need to know. When we're in the hands of the expert gardener, pruning hurts. Tonight, those words are going to feel sharp. Pruning hurts, but it does not harm. It does not harm. He will not harm you. You can trust him. He is the expert gardener, and he knows what he's doing. We talked about this briefly last night, but it's important for us to say this again. At this point, when we begin to talk about things like that, uh, the question comes up about evil that comes into our lives and it's really important to distinguish pruning that God is doing for the sake of your growth and evil that comes at you from the enemy those are two completely different things okay the pruning is at the hands of the good and loving gardener the evil that comes into your life the harm that comes into your life comes at you from the enemy and God doesn't cause evil He is good, and he is holy, and he does not create evil. He does not cause that in your life. So do not put on God what comes at you from the enemy. Do not put on God what comes at you from the enemy. He's good. He's holy. He doesn't cause evil. But because he's the sovereign king who reigns over all things and is reconciling all things to himself, he can redeem even the evil that comes against you. What comes at you from the hand of the enemy, he can snatch away. And he can turn that into healing. For many of you, you're experiencing brokenness in your life. And you need to know that that didn't come at you. That harm that came at you from someone else 
That wasn't God doing that to you, causing that, creating that. But the beautiful hope is he has the power to heal that. And in his hands, even that evil can be bent towards his will and brought into redemption for your good and for his glory. On the screen, you see an image of a bowl, pottery. This is from the Japanese art form known as kintsugi. And it's a way of putting back together broken pottery by using these seams of adhesive with gold in them. Kintsugi is a word that means golden repair. And the beauty of it is this. It's saying we're not going to ignore the brokenness that's a part of this history of this pottery, but instead we're going to embrace that history and we're going to bring healing to that history and that's going to become beauty in the hands of an artist who knows what they're doing and putting this back together and in bringing that healing. This is what Jesus wants to do in your life. Those who have experienced brokenness, he has the power to redeem that. And in the hands of this careful artist, what brought fracture into your life, Jesus is saying to you, grace is the golden repair. And I want to turn even that into beauty when I get my hands on it. You can trust him. Grace is the golden repair repair sometimes the healing process will be painful the healing might hurt but again the healing will not harm and tonight he will not agree with you to look the other way and to avoid it he's going to address it he's going to address it hold on head on it might feel sharp but you can trust him. He's going to start to cut away at things so that that will not become a bitter root in you that threatens to infect the rest of the branch and threaten the fruit that he wants to bring about in your life. Tonight, Jesus is going to do that cutting. He's going to cut away. He's going to prune. Pruning hurts, but it will not harm. And as our friend from the Arboretum reminds us, the greatest growth happens at the point cutting and the most fruit comes from the point of pain the last statement that jesus makes is this the the third statement that jesus makes is you have already been made clean by the word that was spoken to you all right so he cuts off dead branches he prunes branches that are fruitful so that they might be even more fruitful and then the last is that he we have already been made clean by the word that's been spoken to us. And at first we hear that and we're like, Jesus, you just switched up the metaphor. You were doing awesome with the whole vine thing and then you changed it to cleaning. I know I switched up the metaphor too with the pottery, okay? But roll with it, all right? But it's like Jesus changes the metaphor and this beautiful image that he's using in the vine. But the reality is Jesus doesn't change the metaphor. And if we understood the way he's saying it in the original language here, that word for cleaning, it's actually a play on words. There's, there's almost a rhyming between the word of pruning and cleaning. And they both mean the same thing of cutting 
away, of cutting away. And so he's saying, the word will do that work of cutting. So for some of you, Jesus is going to do that tonight. The gardener, the father, the gardener is going to do that work in you tonight. For others of you, I want to challenge you with this. Take this passage from John chapter 15 and these verses that we have been uh, looking at together and begin to meditate on these. Allow the the word to do its cutting work in you. Meditate on this. Let these words run through your mind until they sink into your heart and soul and begin to work their way out into the world around you. Stay in this passage and let it do its work in you. We're going to invite the band to come back. And for this next little bit of time together, we're going to challenge you to allow the gardener to do his work. And for some of you, You've still been wrestling on that first point and you haven't got past that because you know that you heard him inviting you into a relationship with him and you've been resisting and you know that this is the moment and you know that it's going to take trust and so now's the time and we invite you to respond to that. For others, it's those words that Jesus spoke about pruning And you know that there are things in your life that he is cutting away at. And maybe you've been resistant to that. Open yourself up and allow him to do that pruning work so that you might become more fruitful. It will hurt, but it will not harm. You can trust him. We're going to leave you time to do that. For others... Maybe you need to lean into the golden repair. And you know that there's brokenness that needs to be healed. And there's some kind of new courage that the Holy Spirit has been, being, has, has been sparking in you tonight. And tonight, you trust Him. And tonight's the time to allow Him to do that work. We're going to open the front up. We're just going to have some time for that. And we're going to trust the expert and seasoned gardener. And even though it takes all the courage and trust in us to say it, we're going to say, don't stop too soon. Keep cutting. We trust you. And we're open.